0: what's going on folks and thanks for joining me on another episode of the duck gun podcast i'm jordan from duck gun chronicles and alongside me tonight i have my co-host the king of the cans hunter
1: from <laughs> iowa Yep. yeah and yeah how are you doing tonight oh i'm glad to be here kind of a interesting topic we got picked out for tonight which we'll get into but yeah, i'm right I'm glad to be here and like i think uh it's well, it's mid February now as of when we're recording this and it's kind of the end of the season. Like, like I haven't quite hit duck depression, but like the end of the season, I can feel it coming. Like I can feel (laughs) the draw coming of where it's like, I'm in between hunting and I've already put away all my gear. So I'm like at that low point before I'm able to start getting out in the spring and like scouting and starting back up with spring projects and the summer projects leading back up to duck season. So I'm like in that lull part of my year and it's. A little refreshing, but also a little bit sad.
0: <laughs> definitely, definitely. It's uh, we're both officially in <clears throat> in the off season of of duck season. <clears throat> Excuse me, there. um, we're both officially done with our seasons. It's over, and I tell you right now that I am mourning the fact that waterfowl season is over. Some years I'm like I'm so ready for it. Like we hit it so hard, but this year I feel like with the migration so poor. And then like ending what I would say for myself and the enjoyment level, um, satisfaction of a lot of these late season goose hunts over water were just some of the most fun hunts in a long time. So, um, for various reasons, but yeah, it was just, it was a great end of the season. I mean, uh, I got to get on a hunt with my dad and it was his first late season goose, only late season goose hunt of the year. Um, and honkers just cupping in perfect. I mean, it was such a fun hunt. And then the last pair, the last pair came in, I mean, touchdown in the decoys at like 12, 13 yards right in front of us. And I mean, waited all the way, like they're, they were fluttering over the decoys. It was just, it was just perfect. And we're, you know, we, we both, um, pop out of our blinds and boom, boom, you know, one shot each. Um, and then the fist bump afterwards. Oh, it was, yeah, it was a great hunt. Um, we had some great ones with Nathan before that Patreon winner. You came out here, which is cool. Um, and then, you know, in between that, I was still, I was still killing geese. I only had one skunk and all of late season goose. Um, and then the last day, uh, again, or uh, the last, the last hunt there, um, got out and again i mean just some perfect absolutely perfect amazing decoys and then the last bird to come in on that hunt um was a banded goose so got my second
1: band of the year and it was Um, the last goose of the year right last bird of the year yep so man what a high note to end on
0: i know and now it's like i am i literally uh like a wave of sadness and remorse came (laughs) over me as i Tucked my decoys into the garage and folded my blinds up and parked the boat. Man, season's over. So yeah. some years it doesn't hit me like that. I'm just like, oh, what a relief. I don't have to like, you know, like, <laughs> I'm so tired. And I was actually, I was so tired by the end of it. But um, also, I was just enjoying it so much. Um, but there's there's so much, so many cool things that we got planned for next year. Um, that you guys don't know about. We got one huge project that Hunter, you're very involved in as well. Um, and it'll come to light here, um, eventually. And then not <laughs> only that, but I am on day three, officially day three of, cause we're three days after season of Chief's official duck dog training. So, um, he's been, he's through general obedience. He's all right. Um, but he's going to be, you know, top notch. So we've started on uh, a lot of that leash work, um, sit and hear and heal. You're going to get all that down pat. Um, And then e-collar conditioning, force fetch, you name it, all the good stuff. Um, But that's another reason that I'm going to be super excited for next season because I'll tell you what, on all those goose hunts, man, um, like on the hunt, me and my dad shot five geese, and I had to get out on the boat four times, hit the boat way back behind us, Trudging through like waist deep, like muck and water, beaver runs. Almost fell in a couple times. Then you get in. Then I have to push the boat out of all that junk into the main part of the the water, and then motor it over, pick up the goose, and get back. It's like, man, how much nicer will it be? What I can (laughs) say, Chief, go get it, and just you know, you get so spoiled by a good duck dog, and and uh, old Chief man, he was just at the point. I mean the pinnacle of his prime at six years old, where it was just a unity of mind where I could hunt. And like when you, when you hunt with a young dog, it's almost like, it almost feels like you're, like babysitting, right? You got to watch every little thing they do. You're worried about them doing this or that, or, or not being able to find the bird or like, um, even, you know, some young dogs, they might pick up the bird and move it somewhere else and drop it and then come back. Or like, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I had that happen at least once when in his young days. Um, but you know, by the time he was six and the old saying, um, dirt under the feet is what makes a dog. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just saying like the more you hunt with a dog, the more, they're gonna learn. So, at a dog, any dog that hunts fifty to sixty times a year, um, after a few years, they're just gonna be so in sync. They're, you know, the average duck dog is probably like the average hunter. You know, they go out for opener. Um, they're probably a little bit more than that because most people that put the time and effort into having a duck dog probably hunt up, hunt up a little bit more than that. So, but they're not hunting fifty, sixty times a year. So. All that being said is that time that he put in there regardless of how poor of a trainer I was to start with him um he was just i mean amazing so spoiled by that and this this year not having that uh makes me excited to have it again <laughs> probably not next year it will be exciting it will be an experience it'll be it'll be fun and it'll be a challenge and all those things that go along with training up a new dog um but i'm excited for that and then, even beyond that, where he gets the same kind of um proficiency as as old chief was. Mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah, a lot of stuff comes with age. I know, like, Ellie, my pup, when she was because chief is right at a year now, right? Like, right at a year, he's uh, out.
0: not quite, he'll be a year in April, so he's 10
1: months. Oh, okay, I thought he was older than that, but like, Ellie, she was like, you know, we do like the on leash training and stuff like that. And she'd do fine. But as soon as I don't know how to say that other than like a distraction, as soon as there was another like wrench thrown in there, she was not good with it. And now she's three and now she's like perfectly fine with almost anything. Like I run with her almost every day. And, uh, Like I can run with her off leash and she'll heel next to me the whole time I run. And then I like force her to place on like park benches and stuff like that. And I can just, what I do is I just force her to place in front of me on a park bench, make her sit there, I'll run by her and then call her to me once I'm you know a hundred yards past her and have her run back to me again. And like, that's kind of what we do. Part of like the heel training and everything. But now I can run on a path. Someone else's dogs can be on on the leash or off a leash running next to us. And she doesn't even look at him. She's just looking up at me and running next to me. So, and nice. Yeah. I, I didn't notice it all at once, but like looking back, it's like, man, when I first like started heel training her, I had to wear leather gloves because she gave my hands a rope burn from how hard <laughs> she was to- like tugging on the ro- rope and like all that kind of stuff. And so it's kind of weird to go from that to where now it's like, not nah, right. let you just stay here. And then I can totally, I can literally run away and she won't move. Yeah. That's,
0: that's awesome. Yeah. But I feel like that three-year-old Mark for old chief was like when a lot of those things, um, kind of clicked and, Mm -hmm. you know, I could see a big change. Like year one, didn't really know a lot. Year two, he kind of knew it, but was unsure. Year three, um, was where like when it was beneficial, like to have him as a hunting dog, he made everything better. Mm -hmm. So, you, you just gotta work through this points, but oddly enough, you know I had the same thing old chief was like a terrible pooler, and it took a lot of work to get him um broke of that but like young chief, it's like he's a natural with it, which is mm. kinda it's kinda cool to see like the differences that you have from one dog to another, yeah so i'm sure i'll I'll get to see a lot of cool things this summer as we uh hit up the training. Um, all summer long, I'm going to stick with it. I haven't missed, I'm three days in, haven't missed a day. That's not a big <laughs> milestone, but, um, I'm sure we'll continue on that, that train. Mm-hmm. So, all righty. Well, um, today's podcast episode, you kind of alluded it, to it a little bit. We're in, um, the month of February, um, known for Valentine's day. So, um, today's podcast episode, the five love languages of ducks, you know, ducks are afraid to commit. And here is how you get the ducks and geese to fully and complete, completely commit to your spread. So that's, that's, (laughs) that's the tagline for it. Be looking forward to that. We got some helpful, um, information to speak the love language of ducks and geese, coming up but before that let's get a quick word from our partners and we'll jump into the main meat of the podcast so first off I'd like to give a big thanks to onyx guys onyx makes a great app for the waterfowl hunter Um, we use it every single time we go up they got a suite of tools um that you can use as a duck hunter for measuring distance to um water level well recent imagery you can use it for uh, looking at water levels um, and they're mostly known for their tax information where you can um, get permission. You can find their address, knock on the door. Uh, it is an awesome tool for duck hunter. Um, so use on X. You won't regret it. I also like to give a big thanks to motion. Ducks. Hunter, go ahead and take the motion ducks one
1: motion ducks. It's a jerk rig on steroids. As some guy would normally say uh, it, you know, motion in the water is one of the most important things that you have to have when you're duck hunting and motion ducks is is the best way to do it. Like you got to have the spreader system. You can get the ultimate system to throw out. It's seven ducks on the ultimate or four on just the normal spreader. And it's like, uh, it's a jer- jerk string on steroids. And that is a uh, duck gun 10 at checkout. And yep, then it's totally. also go to duck or motion ducks slash duck gun. And you can get a free anchor bag with the order also. Awesome.
0: Also, like to give a big thanks to Weatherby. Weatherby makes some great shotguns for the waterfowl hunter, um, and I've been using all of them and, and have not been let down by them. Um, they are known for their excellence in rifles, um, and now they're known as well for their excellence in the shotgun. Um, they got the 18 That's kind of their premier shotgun for the waterfowl. They got an, an, a, a semi-automatic offering. Um, they got the Element. That's your more budget-friendly um rugged and tough version um semi-automac as well and then they have the ssx and the orion um that's the over under so definitely check them out guys when you're in the market for shotgun uh, make your next one a weatherby uh, also like to give big thanks to final approach take it away hunter
1: yeah, final approach. Uh you can get anything you really want off final approach. You got gear as far as apparel, blinds. They do have blinds on there if I remember right. Yes, yes. And yes. then uh decoys, blind bags, uh the the gosh, what do they call the blind bag? He's all the time. The waterfall, backpack. Yeah, the the waterfall, waterfall, waterfall backpack. The waterfall backpack. That thing is sweet. Has more features than most people will probably use, but it is really nice. Uh their decoys are really nice. I know they came out with fully flocked mallards this year that I hunted with a buddy that were super nice. And they also came out with a uh, can and bluebill decoys that I was super happy about that are really de- really, really nice carvings on them. So anything else you want to add on that?
0: Yeah, no, just if you want any of that gear, um, you know, it's off season time to start making your list for off season. Um, like I said, they offer just about everything. So go to fabrand.com and use code. Gun over there. So, um is that everybody? I think yeah, so. Yeah, it's everybody. All right. Good deal. So, let's go ahead and jump on into it. So, if you're familiar with the the languages, the love languages, um it's words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. Um so To talk the love language of ducks is not far off from that. Like I said, guys, ducks are afraid to commit, and we got to give them every reason that we can or not give them, you know, bad reasons, red flags, anything like that. Like examples of of a red red flag would be a a blind that is sticking out and they can just see, you know, poorly Mm -hmm. brushed blind would be a red flag to a duck. They don't want to commit to um, something like that or something bad might happen. So, we want to do everything we can do to tell them that everything is fine, everything's great, come here, get some food, all that good stuff. So, um we're going to give you our tips and tricks to get ducks and geese to fully and com- completely commit. So, the first category we got is calls of affirmation. So... <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love this concept so much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're just chuckling in the background, but uh, (laughs) yeah, I am. It's funny. Rather than words of
1: affirmation, it's calls of affirmation. (laughs) Calls of affirmation.
0: We got to sweet talk those ducks into committing into our spread. So, um, first off, we're going to go with some tips for calling ducks. Um, so if you are a new hunter, um, like me, you know, not, not like me right (laughs) now, but when I first started, I should say, When I was a new hunter, the first thing that I wanted to do was learn the basics of duck hunting. And if you can learn how to quack, you know, go to the store, buy yourself a Duck Commander ten dollar, you know, plastic call. I'm just saying, if you're a new hunter, that's like, and you just need to learn the basics. Any one of those brands, you can go to Bass Pro Shop or Cabela's or your local sporting goods show. Uh, store and, and get just get something to learn the basics if you can learn how to quack you can kill a duck so mm-hmm. learn the basics there's obviously a lot more that can go into it and levels of everything um, but the first thing learn to quack after you learn to do that learn how to say dooga 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 and then you'll learn the feeding chuckle <laughs> is, is that what you learned or was it take a tigga i
1: learned I learned learned tigga 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 tigga
0: Okay, ticka 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 a ticka a So some people do that. Some people do dooga 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 dooga. And yeah, so you, yep. anyways, learn. <laughs> there's videos out on the internet everywhere. Um, and if you need to, you know, call those ducks in, sweet talk them. You got to start from the basics.
1: Yep. And some tips on like learning the basics is to put it on a lanyard and hang the call from your mirror of your truck or car, whatever you drive. And whenever you're, you're bored driving around, just play with it. I mean, when you're in your car, you don't have to worry about embarrassing anybody or like screaming it in people's ears like you do off your house if you have a significant other or something. And then the other trick their tip that I have for learning is whenever like possible, record yourself calling so you can hear what it actually sounds like because what you think you hear and what like might actually be coming out of the call are kind of different at times. And so it's definitely good to like, you know, watch a video, see what people are doing, record yourself. And that way you can see like, Hey, is it even close to that? Because there are, there are ways to also scare birds with a, with a duck call. Right.
0: And to kind of add to that, it's like you said, record it. And I remember doing the exact same thing. I took my phone, laid it in my lap. Um, I was driving, you know, if you're going to do that, be careful. Uh, But. you know, you're putting it in your truck because you can drive one handed and also say quack in your mouth. Right. So set the, I set the phone down in my lap. It was pointing at nothing just so I could hear it. Right. Recorded it. And it, it, you're exactly right. What you hear in your head and what comes through, um, is not the same. So, mm-hmm. um, and when you want, when you first start, you want to call, uh, it might be even worth your time to just like, Go on solo hunts if you've got a spot to go because then you're forced to call and you're forced to see how they react to it. And if you're learning, honestly, this is one of my pet peeves. Um, like don't make the other people that you're hunting with suffer. Like they'll have some. Depends on the person. They'll have some what's that grace? That's the word I'm looking for. Um, because you're a new hunter. But like if you start flaring birds, that's a quick way to never get invited again. So you just, you gotta know you gotta learn it at your own cost. You know, learn it in the truck, learn it on your own hunts. Um, yeah, I just wouldn't chance it if you're, if you're not good, um, you know, work on it and get to that point where you can be an asset and not a hindrance. Yeah. Yeah. So next.
1: Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. I was just going to say, and the next thing like a, is to add a Drake whistle. It's pretty hard to screw up a Drake whistle and it's not the flashiest call in the world. So typically like if we're hunting in a blind and someone's not the best at duck calling, they end up getting the Drake whistle because it's, it's really good noise to go in with like team calling, but it doesn't require you to practice. (laughs) Right.
0: And it's a great, it's a great way to start kids too Mm -hmm. and give them a Drake whistle. Um, you know, or like I had my, my kid with me this year. She had a Drake whistle in one hand and she had a, um, the motion ducks jerk rig in the other hand. So they can feel like they're a part of the hunt, but yeah, Drake whistle, a great addition to, um, to the hunt, to the, to the calling. Um, next is learn how to call on the corner. So, um, one thing, honestly, this took me a while. I just thought you made noises all the time. Just quack and chuckle. Um, but I, I can remember the exact hunt where on public land, there was a lot of birds flying that day. Um, but I remember that exact hunt where I learned and saw ducks reacting on the corners. And it's all about on the corners, not calling too soon so that they have enough runway to turn and and coming into you. So that's what they mean on the corners. You want to call and make them turn or call as they're turning. um, But you don't want to call, you know, at certain times. So um, learn how to call in the corners and, and that'll, uh, um, that'll, that'll be helpful And getting those, those ducks down in your decoys.
1: Yeah. And the last tip for like calls of affirmation and pertaining to ducks is to, when you team call, which is when you have more than one person calling, definitely try to have a lead caller. That's actually the one looking around because you don't want all five guys in a blind looking up and looking for birds and stuff like that. Where if you only have one guy, that's usually pretty brushed in. Usually the most experienced guy is the lead. Uh, what we do is typically it's like if the lead caller starts to, uh, feed chuckle, then everybody quiets way down. Cause that means the birds are starting to set. And then, you know, they have other calls that they start to hail and pretty much everybody starts hailing on them. And you have a lead that everybody kind of follows. And that makes it to where one guy is up looking around and everybody else can be down in the blind, just making the noise that they want to make or making the noise that needs to be made. Right.
0: And every every group's going to have a different way to skin the cat on this. Uh, a lot of times it can be your guys on the edge, especially if you have a lot of experienced hunters. Um, I hunt a lot of times where we don't, so it's just kind of me. Um, and we don't even have the team calling, or there's other times where we do. But like, let's say you're sitting in an A-frame or blind. you know, Usually you let the guy where the birds are heading to that side, um, let him kind of look out and everybody else keep your head down. Um, the old phrase is, you know, if you're – Either watching ducks or killing ducks, and and it's hard to do both, um, without without flaring them. So, um, and you see that so much, man. You see that so much where people are are peeking out. Or I've I've been on layout hunts where somebody like literally like rolls over and like looks out the back of your blind. It's like, come on, man. Like we don't need to see him that bad, right? Like because we all want to see him feet down at the decoys. And that's if you're flipping over backwards. And looking out the back of your blind, it ain't going to happen. You <laughs> know, <laughs> you're, uh, you're, you're overextending on that one for sure. So learn the cues of what other people are doing. A lot of times, you know, if you're an experienced hunter, you can pick up on it without it even being talked about beforehand. Mm-hmm. Like he said, if they're chuckling, they're setting up. If they're hell calling, they're definitely not. Unless that guy doesn't know what he's doing. So
1: <laughs> Yeah, and then going into, like, the same thing with, like, going into geese is team calling on geese is, like, it's amazing how much pull power you have when you got five or six guys that are team calling on geese.
0: Yeah, we were just talking about this the other day because we're hunting together. It's like, which ones are more call adaptive? Actually, it wasn't you. I was talking about it with somebody else. But would you say ducks or geese, the calling is more effective too?
1: I think you have a higher chance of calling a goose off of a flight line than a duck, like a higher percentage chance of calling a goose because of your calling than a duck.
0: Yeah. That was, that was the conclusion we came to as well. So, um, obviously you can do it with both. I've done it with both. Um, but yeah, it's especially with that team calling. Um, and that leads us into the next one. If, especially if you're new, just learn to cluck and moan and you add that to your, your, uh, vocabulary on the call and you'll be able to add into the goose calling i mean i'm a pretty decent i would say i'm an above average goose caller um you're probably right there same as me um but we've hunted with some other buddies and we all know buddies that can just i mean it's like a orchestra symphony like <laughs> and it's just one guy and you know uh you you've hunted with Devin in iowa obviously and you hunted with him here he's a pretty darn good goose caller. Yeah. So he knows how to work that goose call. And when he does that, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm second flute here or whatever. And I'll just add in the, the cluck and the moan here and there and, and try to make it sound like a full flock. And he's got all the, everything else he's doing, which is great. You know, it's a, he's great at calling. So um just learn the cluck and the moan and you'll be an asset to your uh team
1: calling. Yeah, for sure. and, find someone that's really good at calling to go on because right. it's amazing how many more birds someone that's really good at calling can get for you. But you do have to know when you got to play second flute. I think that's a kind of an important thing too. Definitely. So the kind of the last thing for calls of affirmation for geese is timing and body language. It also goes with like calling on the corners for ducks, but with geese, it's like, I think it's more important, the timing for geese than it is for ducks i think you can kind of generally just make noise for ducks and it'll be all right but with geese you really have to have your timing down because they take such wide swings and they can see so well when they're far away like that
0: right it's like you said on the timing for ducks i mean you can see them go in an elevator sometimes so you'll get away with calling maybe at the wrong time and they still can get in the set whereas geese it's like it's really important to not like really hammer at them until you're ready for them to set up You know, and then as well, like if you're hunting out of an A frame or something like that, so many times you're hunting with people and they're just blasting on the call, like while they're straight above us, that's when you shut up. Okay. If they're, if they're able to look right down at you, um, just stop your calling, you know, and a lot of times if they're working in too, um, you don't call it a bird that's finishing in. You may, maybe like soft, kind of reassuring sounds. Um, it really depends, you know, and if they're starting to, there's, there's so much that goes into it. But you know, if they're starting to drop out, sometimes you can call real hard and and keep them to keep them up and get them all the way to the set and stuff like that. But yeah, it's it's important to learn the timing and the body language of a goose, so you know what kind of call, how hard or how soft, um, or the different calls.
1: Yeah, for sure. You want to go into the next one here?
0: Yeah. Next one we got is decoy dedication. Show those ducks
1: that you are dedicated to getting them in your spread. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your number one tip for your duck spreads?
0: My duck spreads, probably the number one um for duck spreads is getting that motion in your spread. Yeah. You know, um a lot of times you'll see people and they'll be too lazy or they won't get there soon <clears throat> soon enough. Just take the time, add your jerk rig, add your motion ducks. Um, and, and it's going to go a, a long way um, to getting them in your spread.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I think my my second biggest tip is is to be visible and be realistic. You got to find a way to be both visible and realistic and balance those two things. Sometimes you got to be more visible. Sometimes you got to have your spread be more realistic. That's generally my philosophy when it comes to duck spreads. Right. But So did you hunt with a spinner much this year? Um, I probably hunted with a spinner
0: over the last two seasons. Which is, uh, this is dedication right here to it. I wanted to see kind of the difference that a spinner would play. So last year, didn't use it, but, like, just, like, two or three times. And it's when other people, like, brought it and set it up. Same thing this year. Mm. I never set up a spinner myself for the last two years, which is some dedication, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I used to think that, like, the spinners were, I don't even know, a must-have. Yeah, a must-have on hunts. And I don't. I don't necessarily believe it anymore that there must have at this point. If I, if I was giving a new duck hunter a tip, I'd tell him to skip the hundred dollars for the spinner and instead buy some more shells. Hmm. I don't know if
0: I'd go that far. I think it was a good theory, but I think that next year I'm going back to the spinner. Really? Yep. Hmm. Yep. So I, I just don't think it, uh, I, I don't think it hurts. I think that motion is the most important thing and that's what I learned um, but like, um, I just don't see the negative to having both mm. and there's like, you know, um, I've talked about it in the past with Elliot put pretty much, it's like, there's never a time where it's like, pull the spinner and they start working, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Or it's very rare. So it's like, I don't think it hurts. There's just days where birds are super stale. Mm hmm or there's days where you don't have wind or there's days where your hide sucks or there's day, you know, I think it's a lot of, it's a lot of other times. I think it's very rare for it to be a spinner thing. So, um, I really did, you know, two years of data to try to figure this out. Um, and this year is a hard year to judge it off because it was such a poor, a poor year. Mm -hmm. So, um, but last year, you know, obviously a little bit better, but also we had a lot of cold fronts and fresh birds. So I think when it comes down to it, um we're talking about percentages mm-hmm. and um i don't think it hurts i think it probably helps um and the biggest thing that hurts is stale birds bad weather not having cold fronts yeah um and then poor hide is probably more than than anything else
1: yeah so the other thing with uh duck spreads on you know you got to get them decoy dedication in is Something I did not know for a long time and and embarrassingly, I think it was two or three years into duck hunting before I knew that ducks landed into the wind. So when you set your spread, (laughs) yeah. And when you set your spread, make sure you understand that the ducks are going to try to land into the wind. Now, whether the wind be coming from your back, blowing forward or coming from a side shot, you got to make sure you set your spread, whether you run a J hook or the U or just little family clusters that you know that they're going to want to try to come into the wind.
0: So funny, funny story since we're sharing embarrassing things. My first season, man, I swear I was like dyslexic when it came to the wind. (laughs) And I would, I knew that they'd land into the wind, but like, I don't know how to explain it. But like in my mind, I'd flip it where I couldn't even like, this is, we're talking like my first season solo hunts by myself. And I'd get set up and, you know, get in the brush and, and sit down and look at my spread and like, then the like the wind would be like hitting me in the face.
1: <laughs>
0: and I'm like, no, you got to be kidding me. I did it again. And it was like a reoccurring thing where it was like one out of every three hunts. I'd be like, all right, the wind's going this way. So I'll go hide over there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's funny is that like when I first learned like the wind thing, I did the exact same thing. I hunted with the wind in my face and I was like, yeah, you know, I know the birds are going to get into the wind. And I'm like, this is how I'm supposed to do it. Right. 180 right, degrees yeah. off. Yep. But yeah, you know, like I said, if no one's ever told you birds are going to land into the wind and they don't tend to like to land over top of other birds when you're setting decoys, they don't tend to fly over other birds to get down.
0: Yeah, we have a little bit of different opinion on that. I, I don't think that ducks have any problem with that. So how I set my spread is because geese 100% do. So this is, this is our opinions, right? We'll say it's opinion-based because you, you believe one way and I believe another. Um, and we both kill a lot of ducks. So um, who's right? Probably me. But we'll go with we both have opinions on it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I set up my spread like this purposefully. Um, I put geese on the far end of the wind. So Geese won't land over other geese or other ducks. They just don't like to. So you put your geese on the far like. Let's say you're setting up for a cross shot. It's coming left to right. Okay, I'd put all my ducks on the right side and my my geese on the left side because the geese are going to land into the left side of the, the spread, whereas ducks will just fall in those gaps. Mm. So that's how I do it.
1: So you always put your geese on like the very upwind side of the spread. If I'm understanding yes. right, okay. Yeah.
0: Geese are, I feel like they're way more finicky when it comes to landing over birds and ducks will land into the geese to land with the geese to land with the ducks. Obviously you still try to have a kill, uh, a kill hole, but like your geese just don't, they're real finicky when it comes to landing over decoys where I found like ducks will just zip in and out and land like right amongst them.
1: I mean, there are times, but I think that the, I still believe that ducks won't tend to land. Like they won't, if you have a line of birds out, right. They won't tend yeah, to like we're jump not talking the about line.
0: Divers. I'm talking about mallards. Though.
1: No, I'm saying that like I'm saying, di- like mallards. Like I'm saying, if you have a U shape, right? Not very often is a mallard flying over the U and landing on the backside of the U. They're usually landing in the front of it, if that makes sense. Sure. And that's yeah. what I'm saying by like, they don't like to fly over top of other ducks. This what, is what about I'm, geese? Oh, geese hate it. I think geese well, no, are, I meant
0: like, will geese like will the ducks land over the geese?
1: Yeah, the ducks will land into goose decoys, but geese tend to not like to land into duck decoys. Mm, okay. they, they tend to be more separate. And see, so, like what you're talking about with putting the geese on the very upwind side, we do that when we're trying to use the goose decoys for visibility. But when we want to put the goose decoys, like when we want to actually kill geese, we put them on the very downwind side so that the geese don't have to fly over any other ducks. Well,
0: that's what I'm saying too. Like the geese will be on like, if we're shooting left to right, the geese are on the far left side. Like if the winds
1: coming from the crosswind
0: coming from the left. Yeah. So they'll run into the goose decoys first. You're saying you put them on the far side.
1: Yeah. So if I want to shoot geese, then I'll put them to where the geese are the first thing the geese see. But if I want to shoot ducks, I'll put them to where the geese are like the line, like the blocker line for the ducks. Uh, Okay. Anyway, Sure.
0: (laughs) Right yeah, we're getting are getting <laughs> deep in the weeds, here. but yeah, no, I think that that pretty much covers like the the decoy spread stuff. We should still do a full full detailed podcast on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I will add one other f- interesting fact um, for this year. Uh, I ran big late season water spreads a lot for my cousins, and I found that I don't know, you know, it's 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 hard to say because small sample sizes. Like, what well, I hunted like late season maybe eight times on the water. Which is, you know, obviously still a small sample size, but I feel like I had a fairly successful late season on the water, um, running a bigger spread. So in the past, you know, a lot of people just because I think cost and stuff like that run like six decoys. So I think it looks different if you have three dozen floaters.
1: Mm-hmm. I'd agree with that. And also, you had a so, mix of the last pass, and, last pass, final approach decoys and the, live decoys which the live ones are bigger than the last pass ones right i got that right these
0: are like live live hd with the flocked heads
1: Mm -hmm. so and they (laughs) like together they looked really good honestly from like 30 or 40 yards away like you could tell the bigger decoys from the smaller ones but they didn't look out of place like they weren't such a size difference that they looked out of place which kind of surprised me right
0: right and it makes you know makes for uh a bigger spread Mm -hmm. and it's a little cheaper to go with some small ones too. Yep. Um, so yeah,
1: all All work together. Good. Yes, it did.
0: All right. So next we got acts of scouting. If you want to bag out, you need to scout. (laughs) I think I wrote that out and I didn't even know it rhymed. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to bag out, you need to scout. So tips for scouting. Um, step one, is choose your location so you know this kind of goes like if you're going to be local obviously um you kind of got your spots in mind but um you and me hunter we've been doing more trips here over the last few years um so you got to choose your location mm-hmm. so that's, that's that's step one find that location where you're going to go um and then for me it's getting on on x whether it's local or a destination, and map scout like crazy. So this year I did something that was really cool with my Minnesota trip where I went in with like no connections really. Um, I did talk to Tim, our mutual buddy mm-hmm. and, and he'd had hunted in that area in the past, but really I was trying to um, do it on my own. So I got a lot of my information, you know, um, putting those pins before I talked to him and then we kind of cross reference stuff, but um, went in and just map scouted a spot that I'd never been to, never put eyes on and just went. So, um, you know, that's kind of proof of concept because we went in there and shot birds. Um, pretty decent amount of birds. I can't even remember the number of birds, Uh, but decent for a freelance trip, not having any reference beforehand. So, um, like I said, step two map scout like crazy. um, my choice of of mapping obviously is Onyx. Mm-hmm. um you can get a google maps as well um you want to take it take some uh, some of these steps here too yeah
1: yeah i'd have a, an addition like to step 1 where you're saying choose your location i have like a couple of radiuses kind of set up right for my house it is like oh this is like my radius of how far i'm willing to go for like a morning hunt And then this is my radius on how far I'm willing to drive for a day hunt. And then anything outside of that radius, I'm like, okay, I have to go stay somewhere. So like, when we're talking about going on these trips, you have like a main camp, whether it be like an Airbnb or a campsite or something like that, you have to have your radius set from that, like how far you're willing to drive in the morning to go out, which for some reason, mine is somewhere around an hour is what I'm willing to do every morning in order to go on a duck hunt, which probably is crazy for some people, but probably nothing for others. And then on map scouting, um, one of the things I did this year was I started pinning stuff in different colors when I was scouting, especially for our Kentucky trip. When I was map scouting, I pinned stuff in different colors. And then as I laid eyes on the different spots, I would change the color of the pen. And all this stuff was just something I had wrote down in my notes, like, Hey, blue means that there was actually water in the hole. And You know, red means it was a really good hole. It's our number one spot I want to go hunt. And it's just, I definitely utilize the color pens way more than I had in the past. Right. So that was a little trick, little tip. Um, Step three in the acts of scouting is you got to put boots on the ground. You got to put boats in the water. You have to get your eyes on the spots. There's no way around it. You can try to hunt sp- spots blind, but you'll be surprised how often they're different from the satellite. Satellite tells you a lot, doesn't tell you everything. Definitely,
0: definitely, yep. So <clears throat> have you ever hunted a spot without, like, just off of a map and, and just gone in?
1: Um. Yeah, I've gone off of a map before on certain spots, but generally it's like a spot where I'm pretty confident about like what's around it, right? So, like right. this year, there's actually a specific hunt I'm thinking about where I knew this, I knew there was a spot there. I knew it was there on Onyx. I just had never been into it, and I was really familiar with the area around it. So I was able to. The water came up enough for us to get the boat back into this specific hole, and we were able to drive back in there. And I had not previously ever been into the hole or even really seen it, but I knew it was there. Nice.
0: You actually have one, uh, one story where. Didn't even put boots on the ground. Did the map scouting, knocked on the door, got permission. Um, it was public access, private permission, and I was able to get to it. The first day we hunted there, we shot a three-man limit of mallards. So it doesn't happen like that very often, but when it does, it's awesome. It just it just seemed like it was going to be a really good spot in a, in a good area, and obviously it hadn't been getting hunted by other people, mm-hmm. so it worked out well. But generally, you do have to put boats on the ground, boats, boots on the ground, boats in the water. And get in there and scout, especially if you can do it preseason. Sometimes though, it is worth doing just a hunt scout, um, like I did. You know, we just went in and hunted it. Um, it was we didn't have nothing else lined up. I'd got the new permission. Just go in there. There's nothing like learning a spot, than hunting it. There's nothing. Nothing can replace that, right? Um, I mean, you can sit. But generally when people scout, they watch for a little while. When you hunt, you're usually in there, you know, multiple hours. So um, there's no substitute for hunting a spot to learn it. Mm -hmm. And then the last step in the scouting really is to evaluate and decide whether you're adding this to your rotation or it's not worth your time. So I got spots that I've got permission on and I've discarded um, that I feel like are not worth my time. Uh, and it's really hard to know and do. You can't keep them in the back of your mind um, because it's just a small sample size, right? Even if you hunted it five times, you could have gone on five really bad times, right? And then like, then there could have been birds hopping there some other time. So just keep them in your mind. Discard them if you need to, um, but evaluate whether you're going to keep that in your scouting and hunting rotation or you're
1: um, dropping them to the wayside. Mm-hmm. And see, I'd added one more step to my my scouting repertoire, and that is to Mm. make regular trips back to spots. So if I view a spot, I do a lot of scouting in the off-season looking for vegetation and food and stuff like that. And even though I've seen it in the off-season, when it comes to season, I'm looking at it before I go hunt it, mostly. Even if I know the spot is there, I know that there's food there, I'm probably still going to give it a look. And most of that reason is actually for... The next uh what is it? I forgot what we're calling these. The next uh <laughs> come on, help me out here.
0: <laughs> the next category. Yeah, the next so next thing we got up is quality time brushing. So this is like the pinnacle. Probably the most important thing. Um it wasn't the most catchy name, so it didn't go at the beginning. You know, calls of affirmation, I feel like pretty uh, slick there, but <laughs> but uh, <laughs> quality time brushing it really is the number one, like the pinnacle thing. A lot of people don't put in the time when it comes to brushing. How often have you had ducks working your spread just to have them turn tail and fly off to somewhere else? Some people like to move the decoy. Some people like to move the mojo. But I found more times than not, it's that your hide isn't good enough. If you're if you're using natural cover. Um, step back. Sometimes stepping 10 yards back into the cover can make them finish 20 yards closer. So that's a net 10 yards increase as far as, like, getting them to, getting a 10-yard closer shot. Um, when it comes to brushing, the old adage is when you think you're done brushing, keep on brushing. A-frame, panel lines, layouts, it goes for everything. The most important thing is the top cover. How many times in the blind have you... Had a good base layer, um, but the material isn't weeping over the top of the blind, and that top cover um, is super important. You know, a lot. Of, we went on, you know, some of these these goose filled hunts recently, and we we're lacking in that top cover. Um, and for me, that is the number one thing to help when those birds are passing over their higher vantage point.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. And actually like I had wrote down for this, the quality time brushing is that it's when I'm planning a hunt, you know, once I find a spot, my next step is, is like, who's going to hunt with me and how are we hiding? So whether it's like, Hey, we're going to hunt layout blinds. We're going to take a few or panel blinds, a frames, we're going to hunt out of a boat blind. It's like the sec, like it's before I think about decoys. It's before I think about whose dog we're bringing What time we're going to the landing? It's
0: it's funny you do that that order because usually I do the opposite. I say, "What hide do we need to be successful, and how many people can we invite?" Then,
1: yeah, I mean, right. So if it's like,
0: yeah, if it's like you have to hunt, like let's say, like for you, like a boat line. Mm -hmm. Well, you can only hold three people in your boat, yeah, four people or whatever it is. So you can only invite X amount of people. It's like, okay, we have one A-frame. We can only hunt three people, or we can get two in there you know, if we have two brushed, if you only had one brushed, uh, I'm not really like a morning of brusher. Some people are, I think that's crazy. Um, I'm like the night before we got to have it brushed. If we don't have another one brushed, we're not going to get it good enough in the morning. It just, it rarely happens. So I don't, I I hate that. I hate that when people want to brush the morning of like, have it brushed the night before or the day before or previously in the season and touch it up if you need to. Anything else is senile. So, in my opinion, I mean, it's just happened too many times where we don't get it brushed in or we get rushed. Then you get in the blind and then like what? You just ruin the hunt for what? You know what I mean? Yeah. And the field's busted or whatever. The spot's ruined um, because uh, I mean, it's your own fault. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I guess I'm a little bit more of I brush every single day. I have like blinds that have a base layer of raffia or tumbleweed or just kind of depends on the blind, what they have on them. And then I'll brush every day when I go out. So like if I'm going out and hunting, there's going to be brush natural veg from the area I'm going that's going to be going on the on the blind.
0: Sure. Like I don't have any problem like touching up a blind. I'm saying like going in from scratch without a blind brush. Like I know some people who like pull the brush out after every hunt. Like why?
1: Yeah, the only reason I would is if I had like a hellacious walk to get back out. Then I would think even then, then it's I like we're gonna
0: struggle. It. I'd rather struggle and have like two pair people carry it than, than unbrushing a blind to carry it out.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Regardless, <laughs> brushing of blinds and your hide should be a top priority. Like it's even a priority when I scout spots. Like I have spots that I'm like I know there's birds here. No idea how we're going to hide. So we're just going to leave it alone until we can think of a good solution. Mm. Cause it's just like, it's, you know, they're out on a mud flat or they're in ankle tall grass. That's been knocked over by the wind. It's like, how are we going to hide in that? Right. So
0: for me, most of the time a a frame solves like just about every problem.
1: Yeah, I guess I'm not I'm not a big subscriber to the A-frame and that kind of stuff.
0: In a in like a mud flat, I guess a mud flat would kind of suck, but in like short grass, um like I I mean, uh, I've hunted it in really short grass and and had really good success or like even like on the sides of like green grass on ponds. I've had success that way too.
1: Yeah, but we have a lot more, well, maybe this is just me speaking and not actually knowing. I feel like we have a lot more permanent blinds around us that kind of look, you know, they're they're big A-frames, right? Like they're permanent A-frames. And so I think the ducks get sure. weary of them a little bit more often around See, here.
0: I, I hear people say that, like ducks get weary of, or like blind shy. Um, but my thought is like, it, for me anyways, the blinds that they get shy usually are like way more poorly brushed then a frames and the other thing that i would consider with the the birds getting blind shy is like they get shot out of the same spot and they're old ducks they're stale ducks um opposed to like if you put an a frame where there never was an a frame like how do they get shy of that i just think that that it's not brushed in well enough if they're seeing it Mm. yeah i don't think they're smart enough to be like that clump of natural looking vegetation is new today. I just don't think they have the brain capacity for that. Mm. But I do think they could be like, that looks like a hard corner. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or hard edge of a line.
1: Yeah, but I'm saying that like I think they have enough brain capacity to be like, oh, that block of crud over there looks just different enough for me to land thirty yards this way. That's what sure. I mean. Like when I'm saying like blind shot, I mean like they still might land, but they're probably gonna shortstop. Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah. It's it's tough to know because every every situ- situation and area is a little different, um, and every duck and every uh, <laughs> migration and every stage of the migration is a little different too. So, yep. um, and we all like to think we have
1: it figured out. So, oh yeah, I definitely do not. <laughs> Man,
0: that's like the total opposite of what I was going to say.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, it even goes back to the decoys thing, man. If someone's got the secret on making divers come into a spread, you need to tell me because 15 out of one divers never even look at me. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not calling. That's all I know. <laughs> all right. So, the last I got, we had to have five love languages of ducks. So, it's shoot your shot. Okay. You have to. Get in the game, and you miss 100% of the chances you don't take. Now, this doesn't mean like take poor. I can see how this one could be misconstrued to like poor shot selection. That's not what I'm advocating here. I mean, get out there and hunt is what I'm trying to say. Go hunting every chance you get.
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah, Even a so, even a bad day hunting is still better than doing nothing, in my opinion. I'd much rather wake up oh, yeah. with the marsh and the sunrise and look at blue skies than sit at home and watch paint dry right now I'm right there with you um I'm already missing hunting season so
0: but I hope you guys enjoyed um the five love languages of ducks and I hope you uh gleaned some information and some knowledge off of our uh our, our tips for duck and goose hunting um definitely enjoyed this little uh kind of valand times day edition uh it was a lot of fun kind of looking at it from a different perspective um guys the the Mission of the podcast is to entertain, to educate, and um, to help in conservation any chance we get. So um, I hope you guys all prescribe to that as well. Um, So do us a favor. Share this podcast. Share the Duck Gun podcast with your buddies so we have a stronger voice in all of that. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Hunter. He got to go on the podcast with Elliot over there on the North American and North American Waterfowler podcast. Um, he talked all about his migration in the season and diver hunting. Um, he did a great job. Um, it was cool to see my uh, two co-hosts come together and and, uh, <laughs> and some teamwork and and make a great episode. So check it out over there. Um, that's all we got for today. I'm Jordan and Hunter from the Duck Gun Podcast, and we'll see you guys on the next one.